Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22, says this, For wives, this means submit to your husbands, as to the Lord, for a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. Washed by the cleansing of God's word, he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it. Just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You know, it is interesting that nowhere in the Bible does it instruct wives to love their husbands. And we'll look at multiple passages today. The instruction consistently is to submit, to honor, to accept the authority of. That the way God has wired men and women for a man, that's a desire. And one of the key ways that he feels love really is is to be respected. And to have that, that honor in his relationship with his wife. You know, yet yesterday I was going over my notes and I knew where we were, were going today and what we were going to be talking about. And so I asked, I asked Beth, I said, hey, tomorrow we're, you know, we're talking about wives su- submitting to their husbands. And I know this can be sensitive. I, I know it's like there's lots of landmines in, the, in this topic. So like, what is it as a wife? What, what is like the difficult part that maybe I should avoid or be like really careful about? Like what, what is the part that can sometimes be so upsetting to women when it comes to this whole, whole subject? You know, I'm trying to get like advice and, and, and help to be more effective in this. So she, she thought for a minute, she stood there and she thought, she said, well, I think the upsetting part of submitting is just like the whole thing with submission. Well, okay, that wasn't really. That's going to be hard to avoid as we talk about as we talk about some things. So that that wasn't super super helpful to me. So as far as I'm trying to make this more palatable, I tried. She didn't give me she didn't give me anything. So there's obviously two sides to to the, a marriage, and we'll talk primarily about husbands next week. But let me just say a, a couple of things concerning, concerning husbands as we start to, to focus on wives for the next couple of, of minutes. The ins- this instruction is to wives, that they are supposed to be submitted to their husbands in everything. 
that God is speaking, the Holy Spirit is speaking to wives. So it's their responsibility to apply this scripture and who they are accountable to is the one who's giving them the instruction, who is, who is the Lord. So it's not a, a husband's job just to continually hold this over his wife and remind and use it as a, a means of, of you know, battering her with, with the word of God. And the example that we're given there is that wives should submit to their husbands. What's the example? The way that the church submits to Jesus. Have you ever submitted to Jesus in any area of your life? There's some instruction for the... Okay. I almost offered my resignation letter right there. If you have ever submitted, and like three of you nodded slightly, if you've ever submitted to, to the Lord in some area, what was that like when you submitted? When you submitted to Jesus, when you submitted to the word of God, what was that like when you submitted? Did, did Jesus grab you by the scruff of the neck and force you to submit? Did he grab your arm and start twisting it until you finally said, okay, I'll, I'll do what you, you want me to do? No, you, you had a choice in the matter, right? You freely submitted. You decided, God, I want to honor you. I love you. I want to honor you. And that's, that was the context of how we submit to Jesus. Jesus doesn't force his way in. He doesn't make, make you do what he wants you to do. That when we submit, it is a, a willing, it's a free, free choice of whether we will submit or not. Now, when we talk about submission, biblical submission, what it is not, it's not a wife completely denying her personality and her intellect and her gifts and, and all of those things and just being trampled by her husband. It, it's, that's what it is not. Biblical, biblical submission is when a, a wife recognizes and supports and affirms a husband's God-given assignment to lead the household and to be a leader in, in the marriage. It's, it's, it's done freely, it's done willingly, it's done out, out, of, out of love, and for the sake of order, for the sake of stability, and out of obedience to the Lord. That, that's, that's what this submission we're talking about is. And again, it's, it's done freely. That's how we submit to Jesus. He gives us the option. He tells us what is best. Going back to that example of someone built their house on the rock and someone else built their house on the sand. Now, why did that person build their house on the sand? That seemed like a dumb idea. Well, because he gave them the choice. He tells us what is best. He instructs us, but then he allows us whether we'll follow it or not. That's why it's important to say, God, I, tr I trust that you want what's best for me. I trust that your word is what is best, that your wisdom, your understanding is way better than anyone else trying to speak into my life. So I'm going to apply the word of God to, to our, our lives and to follow his design for marriage and family life. Now, have you ever wondered why if this is the way that it's supposed to go, if this is God's design, then why can it be so difficult? Why is there so much tension? Why can there be so much frustration and resistance to submitting to God's, God's design for the way uh, a marriage is supposed to function? Well, God's word gives us some insight into where some of that difficulty comes from in Genesis chapter three. In the Garden of Eden, after the marriage covenant was made. They're living in paradise. Everything is wonderful. Once they sinned, in Genesis chapter three, God comes and he talks with Adam and Eve and he lets them know that there was gonna be some changes now. Because of sin, life was gonna look a lot different than it looked before sin, right? You remember this conversation God has? Like, hey, now you're gonna work by the spirit. Now you're not just 
laying around naked all day, you know, just eating, eating fruit, enjoying yourselves. Now, now because of sin, you're gonna work by the sweat of your brow. Now the, the earth is gonna produce thorns and briars and weeds and, and there's gonna be difficulty that you didn't have, have to deal with before. And in Genesis chapter three, verse 16, says this, to the woman, he said, this is part of that conversation, to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbirth very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. So in other translations, more literal translations, it says, I will increase or I will multiply the pain of, of childbirth. So apparently there was some level of discomfort before sin, but it, it grew, it was magnified because of sin. And then he says this, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Your desire will be for your husband. Now, if I'm honest, at first reading, it doesn't sound so bad. Amen. So her desire is going to be for me. I, I mean, that's, I can deal with the consequences of sin when it comes to, to that. It sounds like you're going to be desiring me. But if you really start to, to press in on understanding, it doesn't really mean what we wished that it meant, guys. It, it, the, the word desire doesn't mean, man, she's just going to be hot for you all the time. What it really means is it's the same word that's used in the next chapter. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago when Cain and Abel were offering sacrifices to the Lord and Cain gets upset because Abel's sacrifice was acceptable and his was not. And God approaches him and says, hey, why are you so angry? Why is your countenance down? If you do what's right, won't it be, be lifted? And then God gives Cain this warning. He says, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. It's the same word in Genesis chapter three that's used of sin, desiring Cain. It means it desires to control. It, want, it wants to manipulate. It wants to be in charge. Sin wanted to call the shots in Cain's life. So it says here that your desire, same word in the Hebrew, will be for him. It means that there's going to be a rejection of the pattern, the way that God set the marriage up to work, that now a woman is going to have to try to, to fight the desire to be in leadership, assert leadership over her husband. It's going to be difficult to submit. There's going to be a rejection of the roles because of sin, a rejection of the roles in the way that God set a marriage up to function properly. And when it says a man's desire is going to be to rule over his wife, that he also will have a tendency to reject the pattern that God gave him and try to rule in his own might, his own strength, his own perspective, and try to dominate and be domineering over his wife and reject the role of leading and caring and guarding and being a blessing to his wife and to his family. Now, this, this is because of sin. The Bible says that in the last days, there's going to be an increase of sin and the consequences of sin. And you can see this pattern is growing over, over time. Even, even secular people, people that were, had nothing to do with God 50 years ago, 100 years ago, marriages looked a lot different than they do today. That with the, the increase of sin, as sin abounds, you see these desires more and more. The idea of a woman submitting to her husband is an outrageous, upsetting idea. And you can see that men, in a lot of ways, have rejected their role in the household. That they, they become domineering and, and hard to deal with. Or they've just completely uh, abandoned their role in the marriage and in the family altogether. But this is because of sin. And we can be free from the consequences of sin. Amen? That we, we don't have to, to walk with the consequences of sin being lived out in our, in our lives. 
How do we do that? Because it's true in other areas. You know, the, the Bible says that we are supposed to consider ourselves dead to sin, that sin is no longer our master. It doesn't, ha- it doesn't rule and dominate because of what Jesus has done for us. But how do I walk in that freedom? Because you, you can be free from lust and alcoholism and anger and all those things, but then it can still, you can allow it to have control in your life, even though as far as the word of God's concerned, you've been freed from it. So what do we need to do to walk in that freedom? Submit ourselves to the word of God. To submit ourselves to the word. So where there's, man, in, in the natural, man, I don't want him. I don't want to submit to him. And I, I, I want to use my position to dominate her and make her do whatever I want. We, we've got to resist that by applying the word of God, the word of God to, to our lives. There's a popular mindset when it comes to women and their, their role in relationships, their role in, in society, that to be a strong woman, it means no more of this silly submitting stuff, that the two are opposed to one another. They're mutually exclusive. A woman who submits is not a strong woman, and a strong woman is not somebody who is, is submissive. That's what society would tell us. Listen, I am, I'm very much pro-strong women. I've got, I've got four daughters. I want to see them be strong, mighty women of God. More importantly, the Bible is pro-strong women. The Bible, the Bible is in favor of women being strong, mighty, powerful, effective, fruitful women of God. And the, the Bible doesn't contradict itself, right? So in this same letter to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, wives, submit to your husbands, submit in everything, like, like the church is subject to Christ, Husband is head of the wife. Respect your husband. Well, just a few verses later in Ephesians chapter six, it says to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Well, we know that that letter is written both to to men and women because he's already addressed wives specifically and he doesn't tell them stop reading here when he gets to the part about being strong. That God wants women to be strong. So submission, we've got to understand submission doesn't mean you're not a strong woman. Actually, it's in in submission that a woman has her strength. Society would try to reverse that. tried to get you to, to reject that understanding, but the Bible tells us this for a reason. God wants you to be strong, and then he tells us the proper way to have that strength played out in our lives. And the way that society tries to coach women, coach people in relationships, it's doing damage. It's not helping them. It's not putting them in a stronger position by rejecting submission, because it's in submission that a woman is able to be strong. That, 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 is, that is the pattern in in the word of God. And as we, we start to look at strong women in the Bible, and there, there are strong women in the Bible, amen? There, there are, this book is full of women that did mighty things for God, that were, were powerful, that were effective, strong women. But when you start to study their lives and start to look at the story of what they accomplished and how they accomplished it, what you find is that their strength was in their submission that they were strong in the way that they showed honor and the way that they showed respect. Who, who were some of the strong women? Just think of some of the stories of, of strong women in the word of God. You know, there are two books of the Bible named after women. You know what they are? They're very good. All right, so you have Ruth, Ruth and Esther. Those, those stories have some parallels. And in both of those both of those stories, there are, there are strong men in those stories, right? In the story of Ruth, there's Boaz. He's, he's the kinsman redeemer. 
right? He's a, he's a type of Christ. He's a successful man. In that, in that story, the story's not called the story of Boaz. It's called the story of Ruth. It's the, it's the book of Ruth. Same thing with, with Esther. There, man, there's, there's Mordecai. There's the Persian king that Esther was married to, Xerxes. It's not, it's not called the book of Mordecai or the book of Xerxes. It's called the book of Esther. So they, they have strong men, characters in those story. And, and, and both of those women really are coming from places of weakness, disadvantage, but in that weakness, in that disadvantage, they found an advantage, and that advantage was in their submission. In the story of Ruth, Ruth was a Moabite woman who was grafted in, she she was a, a Gentile, grafted into the lineage of Jesus. She's the great grandmother of King David. How did she end up going from some Moabite, just apart from the people of God, into playing a key role and having the Messiah come eventually from, from her line. Well, you read the story, it's through submission and honor and, and respect that she continued to honor her dead husband by being loyal and faithful to her mother-in-law and traveling, traveling with her and caring for her. And she starts to, to have interactions with this man, Boaz. She, she doesn't give him attitude or tell him how it's going to be. She submits to him. She shows him honor. The story, towards the end of the story, she goes and she lays at his feet. It was honor and submission that she ended up finding, finding strength. Esther is very similar. In, es- in the story of Esther, the, the Israelites are living in exile in Persia. And there, there was a day on the calendar where they were going to kill the Jews. It was, it was already decided. Esther is, is the queen. And Esther ended up controlling people's destinies in that entire country. Through her behavior, through her words, the, the course of people's lives was completely changed. Now, how did that happen? It didn't happen by Esther going in before the king, her husband, and saying, I know you're not going to try to kill these Jewish people. I know that's not going to, I know, you know, snapping her finger, tapping her foot, hands on her hips. That, that, that's not the way that she was able to exercise control. She's basically, she basically dictates what will happen in that kingdom. In a Persian kingdom, she's calling the shots as a a woman living in exile. She's, she's not even Persian. She's, she's a Jewish girl, a young Jewish girl dictating the course of what would happen in that nation. How did it happen? It didn't happen by her strength and trying to, to outmuscle and be stronger than the king. It happened through submission. Now, I, I want to try to convey something that this might not be the, the perfect way to convey it or the best, the best illustration, but if you can get the heart of what I'm trying to say, it, it will be helpful to you. That the way men are wired, they're vulnerable to honor. They are vulnerable to submission and respect. And when people are below them, and when I say below or above, I'm not, we're all of equal value. I understand that. I'm talking about positionally because there are different positions that people are in. That the way that men are wired, when people are in a position below them, they want to bless them. They want to lift them. And when people are in a position over them, they show honor and respect. But when they, they are their peers, there is a striving and a competing that happens. And an example would be in a sporting arena as a boxer or, or a football player. 
that the, the fans would be in a position below whatever the athletes are. People want, they want to, they want to bless them and please them. They're giving high fives, jumping into the stands, throwing, throwing baseballs into the crowds or, you know, signing autographs, whatever it is. The coaches are above them and they listen to them. They, they take their instruction. They want to honor and respect. But the other person that gets into that ring or the other people that get on that field as their peers, there's, there's competition and there's striving. And so if you can take the essence of that reality, the way that men are, are wired and understand it and apply it when it comes to relationships, you can see the key that Esther understood. The, the way to be effective with her husband wasn't trying to force her will and tell him this is how it's going to be and you're going to do what I tell you to do. She came before him. She said, can I prepare you a banquet? It was through submission. It was through honor. It was through respect. What do you think would have happened if she did go in there and say, let me tell you what's going to happen? It wouldn't, the story would have ended very differently, right? Because by her trying to pose as an equal in position, they would have become competitive. They would have been competing and striving, and now they're against one another. You can imagine King Xerxes wouldn't have responded well if she comes in there and starts trying to, to speak to him and not honoring the position. Does that, does that make sense? You, you with me on that? So, so when it comes to a woman's strength isn't in trying to be on the same level, which is what society would tell you to do, because that passage in Ephesians says that the husband is the head, of equal value, but there are different positions for the order and the way that a marriage is supposed to function. So Esther was, was a woman that through her submission, she was strong. Through her honor, she was, she was able to accomplish great things for, for the people of God. Rahab is, is another example. If you know the story of Rahab, who was a Canaanite prostitute, who again was someone as a Canaanite prostitute was grafted in to the line of, of Jesus. What, what's really interesting is that Rahab was the mother of Boaz. And so people believe that Boaz was sensitive towards bringing Ruth, a Moabite woman, into being the people of God because his own mother had experienced the very same thing. And so he had a, a, a tenderness towards seeing that happen in the life of Ruth. But, but Rahab, as a Canaanite prostitute in the city of Jericho, when Israel was about to destroy Jericho and start taking the promised land, that was the first battle that they won, she ended up saving not only herself, but her entire family. When the spies came, you, you can read Joshua chapter 2, the way that she hosted them she, she was kind to them. She showed respect. She cared for them. And it was through that submission, she hides the spies on the roof, the, the king's looking for them, hides them under flax that's drying up on, on the roof. Listen to the way that she spoke to them as you read through that story. It was through submission and honor and respect that she ended up being strong. Deborah is another example. Deborah was a, a prophetess and she was a judge. And I think Judges chapter four, you can read that story. And there was a time where she was giving instruction from the Lord that they were supposed to go to war against a Canaanite king and his army. And there was a man named Barak that was supposed to lead that army. Do you remember what Barak said when Deborah gave the instruction? You don't? He said, he said okay, I'm not going unless you go too. Now, she could have said, are you crazy? Do you know who I am? I'm a prophetess. I'm the judge right now. You'll do what I say. But she didn't do that. So she said, okay, 
She will, just, just know this, though. A woman will get credit for the victory that's won today. So she, she didn't have to. She submitted to that. Deborah's considered a mighty woman of God, a, a judge of Israel that brought about great victories. She did it through submission. Now, in that same story, there's a woman named Jael that the, the, the commander of the Canaanite armies, he fled from the battle. His name was Sisera. And he goes to her tent and she brings him in. And eventually she drives a tent bag through his skull into the ground and wins the, the, wins the battle. Now, how did that happen? When he came to the tent, she didn't start chasing him around with a hammer and a tent bag, say, you, you, you know, you get back here, I'm going to kill you. That's not how it happened. She hosted him. She said, come on in, have a blanket tucked him in, gave him a drink, have some milk. It was through her kindness, through her submission. And then once he was asleep, uh -huh. <laughs> I probably should have skipped the story of jail. Maybe that one's not a good, a good example. Men, when you get home, if your wife offers you a warm glass of milk and a blanket, I, I would maybe pass on that. <laughs> In the New Testament, story of Mary, Man, it's a mighty woman of God. How, how did she end up in a position to be the, the mother of the Messiah? Yes. She, she was engaged to be married, yes. making wedding plans, picking out centerpieces and who's going to sing what song and you know, what the, the dinner afterwards, where they're going to honeymoon. I mean, she's in wedding planning mode and an angel shows up and says, no, you're going to be pregnant. Yeah. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. How does she respond to that change of, of plans? What people are going to say about her? It's going to mess up. I mean, it's going to mess up the direction she thought life was going. Oh, no, no, no. That's not what's going to happen. I'm, I'm getting married in however long. And this is, what, this is the way things are going to go. That, that's not what she did. She said, I'm the Lord's servant. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. It was through her submission. You know, that's a biblical principle, that you humble yourself in the sight of God. I humble myself. We are the bride of Christ. What happens is I humble myself. He, he exalts us as we humble ourselves. As I submit to it, no, God, you have your way in my, my life. And it's modeled in the marriage because marriage is an illustration of our relationship with the Lord. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Sarah is another mighty woman of God. She's listed in Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of faith. And she's referenced as an example in 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll start reading in verse 1. Verse 1, it says, In the same way you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words, they will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. In the same way, it says, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. The New King James Version says to be submissive to your husbands. In Colossians chapter, Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting 
for, for the Lord. So you see this instruction over and over and over again. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses that a thing is established. You can see God's design, his advice when it's time to speak into marriage, specifically wives, the instruction is to show honor, to show respect, and to be submissive. And it says here that even, even if your husband, it's not just dependent on your husband being like, man, my husband is super godly. I think I'll submit to him. It says even if they reject the good news, even if he's not even a a Christian, that your life of submission and reverence will do something in his life and it will turn his heart, that there is a power in a woman's submission. It's not even just in the natural, that man, she's very compliant, she's easy to get along with. There's a spiritual component of what's taking place when you submit to the word of God, there's another power that kicks in and so it's a ministry and it has the ability to push a man from I don't want anything to do with the Lord to I give my heart with the Lord. That power doesn't stop once he, he prays the sinner's prayer, that a woman has the ability to continue to mold and shape and help direct her husband's life to be more and more the way it ought to be like Jesus. Now, how does this happen? It says it happens without even having to speak a word by her reverence, by her submission, that it's in a spiritual realm. It's a ministry that affects the heart of, of her man and helps to move him in the direction that he should go. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothing. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. A woman's advantage over a man is in her submission and in her respect. And it says, don't focus on beautifying yourself outward. I, I like the New King James Version because it says, don't merely, like don't, don't just do the outward. So it, it, it includes that. Go ahead and fix yourself up. Look nice. Yeah. Guys, amen. amen. Don't take this verse and just, you know, have, your, like, have bed head all day. You got a rat's nest on your head and just chalk it up to complying with the word of God. Don't, it's not merely, not, mere, not just outward adornment. Throw a little outward adornment in there. Amen. <laughs> then he continues, verse five, it says, this is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. How they adorned themselves. How they beautified themselves. How? How did they do it? They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. Notice what it says there. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. That accepting the authority of their husbands really isn't even accepting, trusting your husband. It's trusting that God knows what he's talking about. In Ephesians chapter five, it says, out of reverence for Christ, out of reverence for Christ, that your submission to your husband isn't, it's just not about honoring your husband. It's out of, it's out of reverence. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm reverencing you. I'm honoring you. So husbands, that's important for us to be aware of. That when you handle your wife's honor and respect, it doesn't really belong to you. That what's happening is something beautiful and precious. That's your wife reverencing Jesus as she honors you. So it's not something for us to get a big head about and strut around the house. Like I'm the man of the house. That belongs to Jesus. She, it's out of reverence for Jesus that she's showing that honor. It's because of her love for him that she's, she's submitting to what you have to say. It's not saying you, you know everything, you're just a know-it-all. It's about, it's about the Lord. It's out of, out of a trust, out of a trust for him.
Verse five again, it says, this is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. So it uses Sarah, another mighty woman of God, as an example. And it talks about the way that these holy women of old beautified or adorned themselves with a beauty that went beyond the, the fading beauty of what's going on outwardly. There, were, there was something else. They adorned themselves. They made themselves attractive. Uh, another force, a spiritual force working in their lives. They beautified themselves. Do you know that beauty, adornment, is a form of leadership? It's a form of influence. And influence, ultimately, is, is leadership. So you can help lead your family and lead your husband by, by adorning yourself, by beautifying yourself. So something beautiful has an influence over you, right? If you got to, to decide if you're gonna live in one of two houses and one looks like a trash hole and the other is a nice-looking house, which one are you gonna pick? Your, your, your decision is being influenced by appearance. If I presented you two options of, of food to eat, you came over to my house, I said, well, we've, we've got this, and it's, it looks like slop. It's like cat vomit or something. Yeah. And then, I, and then I, I gave you another plate that had been the, you know, just presented very nice, a little uh, garnish on the side. Even if it was the same content, you're probably gonna pick the one that is more appealing visually. It's influencing your decision. So what, what is, is beautified, what is adorned, that's, that's a way of influencing, and influence is leadership. And it says that the holy women of old made themselves influential made themselves powerful, made themselves strong. How? Not just by braids and makeup, but what was going on on the inside, their love for the Lord, their, their devotion to him, their reverence, and their submission to their husbands, even Sarah calling her husband, calling Abraham master or, or Lord. Now, I know this can sound old-fashioned, out of date. It can, found, it can sound chauvinistic, but if we really trust God, it's out of trust for God. Trusting God hasn't gone out of style. Trusting God isn't old-fashioned. It's still very relevant to our lives today, and it's a submission to husbands out of a trust for God. And listen to this last verse of, of that section. It says, and you are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. And that's a sticking point for a lot of people that out of fear of what their husbands might do, it says, you're, you're a daughter of, of, of Sarah. You put yourself in that kind of powerful, holy lineage. When you do what is right and you don't allow a fear of what your husband may or may not do to keep you from walking in obedience. Man, if I start submitting, I, man, I know his attitude. I know what he's going to say. What if my husband doesn't respond? What if he continues to do this? What, what if he doesn't straighten up right away? What if he takes advantage of me? What if it just causes him to be even more lazy? If I start showing him honor and respect, he's gonna think he's right all the time. And you've got all these lists of excuses of what, what the dangers are of you submitting. It says, you're her daughter. If You're not afraid of what your husband's gonna do. You just trust the Lord and that he has a desire to see what is best unfold in your life. And you trust 
the anointing of the Holy Spirit that as you apply God's word, you're kicking in another power in your marriage to start dealing with his heart without a word. He sees, he can sense the presence of God. That it's, it's worship to the Lord. He inhabits the praises of his people. Lord, I'm submitting out of reverence. I'm reverencing you. I'm honoring you, God. I want your presence in my life. Man, the presence of God starts to soften his heart. It helps to put him in the position that he, he should have. This, it's so important that we have wives, families that really apply the word of God and take it seriously. The, the, the Bible says in Ephesians 5 that we read earlier, that it says it's an illustration. But how we handle ourselves in marriage, your marriage is important. But what's also is important is the kingdom of God and the way that the church is illustrated and put on display. That we're helping to advance the kingdom and show people the kingdom, the way that we conduct our families. Let, let me read Ephesians chapter 5 again. Verse 30, 32, it says, This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. It's being illustrated. The way there's a oneness between Jesus and you and me, the way that he loves the church, it's an illustration. Verse 33, so again I say, because it's an illustration, I'm going to tell you this again. I got to repeat myself because why? You already told us that. I know I got to say it again. Why? Man, because this is an illustration of the relationship between Jesus and the church. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You know, there's an attitude in the church among even good Christian church people then when it comes to submitting to Jesus, submission is, is very flippant. That it's not really genuine submission because, because we submit where we want and then most people have a few places where they choose not to submit. They submit where it's easy. They submit where it's convenient. Then, then we got a few areas. I, I know the Bible says this, but I, I don't do that right. And you know what? I've, kind of, I've got this area in my life that I kind of do my own thing over here. Well, there's a parallel. It's an illustration. They, 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 they run along with each other. That the way a wife submits to her husband, the way that the church submits to Christ, the, the, the two are intermingled together. So if we have wives that just kind of take a flippant attitude towards submitting to their husband, it's not really that serious of a thing. It's just kind of like, I know, sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. I do it when it's nice, you know, it agrees with what I want to do. But if I really disagree, then I don't submit. That, that's not submission. If you only submit when your wills align with one another, then you're just doing what you want to do and you're calling it submission. And then when it's something you don't want to do, you, you have your own way. When you go home, the people on the same road after church heading the same direction, you're, you're not submitting to them. You just happen to be going the same way. And at some point you'll turn off and they'll, they'll turn off. That, that's not, you wouldn't say you're submitting to them, but sometimes that, that's how we consider our submission to Jesus. I'll, I'll, I'll submit to you where it's what I think is a good idea, but where I don't think it's a good idea, I'm gonna have my own way. That, that's not submission. And we treat submission in marriage. We're supposed to submit to our husbands, the Bible says, the way that we submit to, to Jesus. The people will submit with an eye roll. Henry says we got a budget, you know, or whatever it is, and just kind of like, and sometimes he's so ridiculous. I don't know, I gotta submit. Is that the way you submit to Jesus? Sometimes Jesus is so ridiculous. He says, that's, that's, not, that's not out of reverence. You, you could submit and remove all of the reverence. You can submit in a way that's actually insulting and dishonoring. 
it affects the quality of marriages. If we downplay submission and make it something, it's just like, well, you kind of pick and choose. We don't really submit all the way. It's just, the, the higher we lift the standard and match the biblical instruction, submit to your husbands in everything. If, if submission isn't really that important, then who someone ends up married to isn't really that important. If we convey a message in our marriages that you kind of submit sometimes, then you just do your own thing other than, well, then the standard for who someone selects in marriage goes, goes way down. But if we really believe this and we treat it like truth and we treat it like God speaking to our marriages and telling us what's best, what happens to a young lady when she's looking for a husband and she understands that when I commit to marriage, I'm committing to submit to this man, she's gonna have a much higher standard of who she ends up with. If I'm supposed to submit to this man the way that I submit to the Lord, then I'm going to look for a man that is as much like Jesus as, as possible. But if it's kind of a flippant thing, no, you kind of do, you kind of don't, then it's, people end up in bad marriages. But if we take it seriously, no, it, it, the Bible says to submit to your husbands. And we, we don't allow ourselves to get offended or bent out of shape and understand, no, it's for our own good. We get ourselves in trouble where we take it lightly, where it's not that big of a deal. That's where problems come in marriage. It does something to a man. When someone submits to a man, it does something to him that helps him to rise to a higher level. Men, you can back me up on this. If, uh, for, for your wife to genuinely submit, it, it puts you in a different attitude. It puts you into a different role. That our roles as husbands and wives, they affect one another. Just, just like you can see in this passage, you can actually drive a man into a relationship with the Lord by your submission. It helps him to rise to the level that he's supposed to be at to love his wife like Christ loves the church. Just like a husband loving his wife makes it easier for her to submit, her submitting helps a man to lead his household the Way that, that he should lead his household. Again, for young people, people that want to be married someday, we quoted from Proverbs chapter 18 earlier, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. That a wife is a mentality, a wife is a mindset, a wife is a mode to go in that you understand submission, you understand honor and respect. So if you are a man looking to marry someone, that you should see how that person submits to positions of authority that are already in their life. If you have a woman, a young lady, who doesn't submit to her parents, then you found someone that has already managed to explain away the Word of God and figure out an excuse and feel okay with saying, you know what, I'm not going to be submissive where the Bible says to submissive. And when you hear it being applied to the parents, you can know that it's just a matter of time until it's your authority and your leadership in the household that she's rebelling, rebelling against. That a man who finds a wife, a wife, someone's trained themselves, they've already mastered submission. They've already mastered how to show honor, how to show how to show respect. And again, young ladies, knowing that this is a person, can, can you picture submitting to this person? Not just can you picture having kids with this person. Oh, I can picture, I can picture having a home together. I can picture kissing this person. I can picture, can you picture yourself submitting to this person? That, that's the standard. Can I submit to his leadership? Is this a Christ-like, does he love God with all of his heart? That I know when he speaks, that I know when he leads, I can submit myself because he's, he's made it a point to follow Jesus with all of his heart. And if not, that's not a person you want to marry because that's not a person you want to submit yourself to. This is so important for the health of families, the health of marriages, the health of a church, the way we illustrate the kingdom of God. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. 
To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.